Gary DePaul with Unlabeled Leadership. Welcome to episode 95, Kim Campbell Gets to the Heart of Leadership. Here's a shout out to listeners in Bangkok, Thailand, and in the United States, Woodway, Texas, Draper, Utah, St. Albans, Vermont, and Taylors, South Carolina. With that, let's get started. You might not have heard of an A-10 Warthog. It's a single-seat, straight-wing jet aircraft that has a twin turbofan engine. Kim Campbell has spent roughly 1,800 hours flying one of these, and she's flown more than 100 combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. During her career, she's held several positions, such as flight lead, squadron commander, operations group commander, Air Force Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council, Military Assistant to the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy in the Office of Secretary of Defense, and Director of the Center of Character and Leadership Development. Now as a retired colonel and fighter pilot, Kim spends some of her time speaking to organizations about leadership and the lessons learned from combat. There's a lot that we can learn from Kim, and the stories you're about to hear will give you a glimpse into her knowledge and insights. Part 1. Showing the Human Side Principles of leadership are easy to understand, but difficult to get at the depth of application. One of the principles, connecting with others, might have an underlying belief that goes something like this, connecting with your team on a human level. Leadership Stories is an excellent way at getting at some of the application of these principles. In this story, Kim illustrates this leadership principle, that is the principle of connecting with others. Here's Kim to explain. One of my very first opportunities to lead was when I took command of a squadron in the Air Force. And a squadron is about 150 people. So this was my first real opportunity to lead a larger organization. And one of the very first things that happens when you take command of a squadron is you do a big formal change of command ceremony. People come in from all over the base. They come in, family and friends will fly in. My squadron itself was standing in formation. We were in a big hangar out on the airfield. It was a big formal event. My husband and my three-year-old son were sitting in the front row. The ceremony started and there's speeches and a lot of things that go to it. So it takes a while. And I could tell by looking at my three-year-old son about 15 minutes into the ceremony, he was just bored out of his mind. My new boss, the, the group commander, is talking about the importance of leadership and having a good leader in an organization. And I look down at my son and he kind of gives me this little smile. And then he hops up out of his seat and takes a few steps towards me. I'm getting nervous. I'm looking at my husband and he's looking at me like, what are we going to do? And my husband is just thinking, well, if I get up to get my three-year-old son, that he's going to have a full-blown temper tantrum right here in front of us. And I'm, of course, thinking that he has to do something because this is a big formal ceremony and I'm about to take command of this 150-person squadron. And my son doesn't care about any of this. Of course. (laughs) He takes a few more steps and and the ceremony is going on. And and now I can barely concentrate. I mean, I'm just watching my son, wondering what he's going to do. Finally, he is next to the stage. And I think he might just sit down and stay there. But no, he takes a few more steps and ends up right on the stage. And then the next thing you know, he is sitting in my lap at this big formal ceremony. 
you know, I love my son, obviously, and it's very cute to have him in my lap, but not at this moment. You know, I'm honestly really nervous about what my airmen, my team is thinking of me. I'm worried that they're going to, you know, look at me like I can't even control my three-year-old son. How am I going to lead this squadron? It was hard for me to kind of show this human side of leadership to let them see me for who I was. You know, I was a mom, I was a wife, a fighter pilot and a leader. It was hard for me to let them see me for that. But the next day after I kind of went and walked around to talk to people in my squadron, we were kind of joking about it. And, you know, I was a little bit embarrassed about what had happened. One of my young airmen looked at me and said, ma'am, it's okay. It makes you human. And I was like, that's exactly it. There's this human side to leadership to let people see you for who you are and, you know, to let them know I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. You know, I can't always control my three-year-old son. But that comment from someone younger than me, you know, more junior than me really helped me set the stage for leading that unit and for leadership really through the rest of my career in the Air Force, because she showed me that connecting with your team on a human level is really important and it can really pay off. I loved hearing that. I loved learning from one of my airmen. That airman taught me more uh, about leadership than probably I've read in books just by that one comment. In the corporate world, when someone moves from being an individual contributor to a supervisory position, there's this lack of training of what leadership is in a lot of organizations. And when you go by your intuition, your gut feeling, you want to show that you're an expert, you're in charge, and it's the antithesis of showing that you're human. Yeah. You know, I can imagine for a squadron moving up into a position like that, having your son come up to the stage and (laughs) and sit there. I could visualize you're trying to keep your composure. You're trying to show that you're an officer. This is something you're ready for. But the human side comes out that ironically is something that newer people don't realize is probably some of the most important quintessential parts of leadership. Absolutely. I mean, I came into that squadron as this combat proven fighter pilot. I had these ideas about leadership, who I should be and how I should perform. And it was like, just by saying it makes you human, it's okay. And the connection that I felt with that, it just recaged me into what was really important. And it was just being able to connect with people and to understand what they're going through and, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're struggling with. I think that connection is so important in leadership. And I think a lot of times it takes the leader to jump in first, to be vulnerable, to open themselves up, to see that human side. But you're right. It's not something that we are normally taught. It's not in the normal classes and literature about the traditional, I would say, literature about leadership. When you're a person with authority, when you can show the human side it makes it not only easier to lead, but more fun or funner. Absolutely. It was, I mean, yes, in every way. I I loved, loved connecting with my airmen and getting to know them. And yes, there is still a leader follower role, but I really enjoyed the moments of getting out and walking around and learning about them and them showing me what they do. That was the best part about my job. It was my favorite part about being a leader. Part two, check your ego at the door. In 15 minutes, 
What can you do to connect with the people that you work with? Take it a step further. What can you do to have that connection, to develop that connection, and have a rippling effect so it affects the people around your team and those people you work with? The story that Kim shares illustrates this effect. It's another example of connecting with others. Here's Kim to explain. One of my leadership roles was as a group commander, and now we're talking about more like 1,000 to 1,500 people. And my airmen were spread out throughout multiple countries, different bases throughout South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. I struggled with how to really connect with them and get to know them. When I was a squadron commander and in charge of 150 people, that was a bit more manageable. But 1,000 and 1,500 people was something totally different for me. On one of my very first trips to Honduras, I got the opportunity to meet with my firefighters. These firefighters were responsible for the base itself, but also with working with the local Hondurans to protect the local community if there was a fire. I really wanted to get to know my firefighters and understand, you know, what they were going through, what their struggles were. They needed equipment, they needed funding. And so I wanted to better understand their struggles, what they needed. And so I talked to the fire chief and asked him to give me an idea of kind of what they needed and why. He looked at me and said, well, ma'am, the best way for you to understand this is to go in the burn house with us, to suit up and go in the burn house. Now, a burn house is a training house, if you will, where firefighters can go in and have a controlled fire and practice their techniques. Keep in mind, I'm a fighter pilot and and fighter pilots don't like fires. The thought of going into the burn house was slightly terrifying. I was also worried that, you know, that I might do something stupid or make a mistake. What I decided was I needed to check my ego at the door and just go in and learn from my young airmen to learn from my team. They suited me up. I went through a bunch of training. They actually had some of the youngest people in the unit train me up. And then we all hopped in the fire truck and raced to the burn house. Going in that burn house with the firefighters, they had me lead and they had a firefighter right behind me with his hand on my shoulder, kind of guiding me in and talking me through it. Again, it was terrifying. And I was still worried I was going to make some sort of mistake or do something stupid in the burn house in front of my airmen. That experience, knowing what they're going through, feeling the heat from the fire and being totally exhausted and drenched with sweat in only 15 minutes, just gave me a little glimpse and insight into what they do. Seeing their level of expertise and hearing directly from them really informed me about their capabilities, their skills, and what they needed. But it also really connected me with them in a way that just getting a briefing wouldn't have. Even though it was terrifying, even though I was worried about the impression that I would make on them, it connected me with them in a way that I couldn't have expected. What I took from that was this idea that you kind of got to get out there and check your ego at the door and learn from your team. Let them teach you about what they do and how they do it. It was a great experience. It was a lot of fun. It's not like they're going to ask me to go on their next firefighting adventure, but I did connect with them in that moment. And it was, again, a, a great lesson learned for me. There's something very humbling when someone in authority is open-minded and willing to learn rather than having to bring or feel the pressure to be the expert and do what's right. Yeah. That job specifically helped me learn that the most because I'm a pilot. My team was made up of people with a lot of different backgrounds. 
I had to take the time to really learn from them and to get a feel for what they do. You want to be credible as a leader, but it doesn't mean you have to be the expert at everything. I mean, you can ask your team for ideas and ask them questions about how they think things can go in the organization because you are trusting in their expertise. They've had the training, they've gone through this. And so showing them that you trust in them and that that you value their level of expertise, I think really creates an environment where your team can excel. I've never been in the armed forces, but I've had a number of people from various services on the show talking about their experiences. When you do something like what you just did, go into the burn house, all suited up with their support and relying on them to some extent, when you talk about connecting with the people that report to you in the thousand to 1500 or so, that is one way of doing it. Not just, and I don't mean the people that you directly were working with, but they're going to talk to people who will talk to other people. And before you know it, the whole base knows that you've been in this burden house. Yeah. I think it gives you a little bit of credibility, maybe not in being like the best firefighter, but just in being willing to try being willing to put yourself out there and learn something new and learn from your team. I think what I really enjoyed was when I had these young firefighters walking me through how to put on the suit, how to use the fire hose. You know, I was really trusting them. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was really learning from them and I think they loved it. And so did I. It's a way to show that you're in this with them. It's not about you. It's about the team. It's about really connecting with your team and really learning about them and trusting them for their level of expertise. When they're able to lead you in that sort of a way, there's some reciprocal aspects of that. What you said just now about how much they enjoyed suiting you up, giving you directions, kind of giving you some instructions where they benefited from that experience and obviously you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's mutually beneficial. <laughs> I learn something, I learn from them. They learn a little bit about me and, and they get to know me. They learn to trust me because I'm willing to kind of put myself out there. I think what happened after that was when I asked for new ideas or asked for thoughts on something, they were more willing to come to me with something that was maybe a little different or creative or involved some risk because I had already made that connection. It really opens the organization up to be more innovative, be more creative because there is a level of trust. With that trust is a sense of safety that you can talk to your commander and say something without the fear of being talked down to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that I am really going to listen, you know, that I... I'm going to take what they have to say and listen. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to take their ideas, right? The role of a leader is you have to kind of listen to the ideas and then make the best decision. But some of the best ideas came from my youngest, the youngest members of my team. And I really listened to what they had to say. It goes back to one of the underlying leadership beliefs that says that leadership and inspiration can come from any direction, from any source, whether it is the lowest ranking individual or a civilian that happens to be on the base who's doing janitorial duty or something like that. Oh, yeah. You know, there are so many stories about some of the people that have influence over an organization that you realize, you know, that everybody contributes in some way. It's about taking the time to understand how they do contribute to the mission. 
It's about the people behind the scenes sometimes that are doing absolutely critical work and taking the time to recognize them for the work that they do. Part three, Courage Unlabeled. If you read a lot of leadership books like me, you'll pick up that a lot of the chapters are about quality terms, or maybe they use the word competencies, or skill, trait, ability. These terms are supposed to somehow describe leadership. You'll see things like agility, catalyst, assertive, concerned, determined, diagnostic, contributor, diplomacy, diversity. I could go on and on and on. In fact, I have identified 270 such descriptors of leadership. Here's the problem. These types of terms are abstract and they're difficult to put into practice. Kim advises us to use one of these terms in our leadership, namely, lead with courage. What's different is that Kim demystifies this term courage and does it in a way that when you look at how she describes it, it may not match what you think of when you hear courage, yet the way she explains it makes perfect sense for being courageous. Again, here's Kim. If I were to give one piece of advice, and this is advice that I continue to remind myself of as well, is to lead with courage. And I know that sounds big, but I think there's ways to break it down. I think one, it means being a little bit vulnerable and opening yourself up to show that human side of leadership. It means taking the time to get out there and connect with your team. It means having the courage to make those hard choices and tough decisions. It means having the courage to have the tough conversations that need to be had. So how do you do that? I think there's some concrete ways to break it down into things that you can do right now. And one is just add some time on your calendar for connection. On my calendar, I would add an hour to go walk around my unit, to talk to my team, really just to, not with an agenda per se, just more to see what they're doing, listen to how things are going. Maybe an hour is too long right now. So maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's 30. Taking that time, that set time and no agenda, just take the time to connect. A little harder now with the virtual world if people are not back in person, but I think it's as simple as sending a text or a chat or a phone call. It's just setting that time aside to really connect. A couple of people have been on the show. Dave Best is one of them. One of the things they said is that with their virtual teams, they schedule just time with them to talk about anything but. When the pandemic started, one of them would meet weekly with the team for 90 minutes and they would talk about the challenges that they're experiencing in their personal lives with the pandemic. And the result was at the end of a year, they said, those 90-minute meetings that we did weekly saved my life. Yeah, I can see that. I think my last job in the Air Force before I retired was as the director for the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And what a fitting way for me to end. I mean, I started my career at the Air Force Academy. This was a way to end it at the Air Force Academy. But that saying that you never stop learning, that a leader always is always growing was absolutely true because in that last year was all during the pandemic. But I had a team of experts, experts on character and leadership. And we really talked a lot about how to have that connection in that virtual environment. 
we as a team did little things like Monday luncheons. It was voluntary and you could show up or not. And it was just a chance to talk virtually and share kind of what was going on. And maybe there would be a small topic. It was just an opportunity to connect. We would have more regular meetings that would be formal at the start. And then at the end, we would just pick a question, you know, what's something we don't know about you or tell us something from your, you know, that's in your office and what it means to you. We would just go around the room and kind of get to know people. I think we focused more on that in the pandemic world than we would have in in an in-person environment. I think those little things of just trying to connect with people and learn about them are really important. And you really have to make the effort when you're virtual and when you're not in person. It's much easier for me to get up and walk down the hallway and check in with people in their office, which is certainly my preferred method. But I had to adapt. I had to learn. I had to change my ways because of this virtual environment. But it's still really important to connect with your team. You have to have the courage to get outside of your comfort zone and try something a little bit new because the environment has changed. I think there are going to be some good things that come out of the pandemic. It's hard to think that sometimes, but I think there are. There's a couple of really important principles that you've just been talking about. They're so obvious, but I'm going to mention them anyway. The first is connecting with others. I love how you describe the different ways that you were doing that and trying to do that in a virtual environment. The second is that with leadership, you're continuously learning. And there's a principle that for you to be effective at leadership, you have to learn. I used this metaphor before, the two sides of the coin are leadership on one side and learning on the other. You cannot have one without the other. I would agree that good leaders certainly know that they don't know all the answers and that it's a constant learning to look from somebody else's perspective, you know, look for new ideas. You don't want to get in the rut where you're kind of doing the same things just because you've always done it that way. Sometimes it takes a young airman, a young member of your team to show you something new, uh, which has certainly been the case for me. You started off by saying that you want to lead with courage. Best part of that description is when you broke it down to the different elements of that. And the first is something that I think a lot of listeners, a lot of people just would not have expected. And that is, if you're going to be courageous, you need to be vulnerable. Yeah. It almost seems opposite, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it, but it's, it, but the way you explained it made so much sense that there is a certain level of courage with being vulnerable because you're saying, I am putting myself in a position to where I'm showing you a part of me that you could take advantage of and use it against me in some way. When your son walked up on the stage, there was a a level of vulnerability with that even. When you make yourself vulnerable, it enables the people that you work with to do the same. Yes, I think as hard as it is, right, it requires courage. But I think vulnerability invites connection. Sometimes as leaders, we have to make that leap first because our team is not necessarily going to be in that position to be as vulnerable because they're really looking to us. Am I going to trust my leader or not? I think as leaders, if we can have the courage to be vulnerable and to take that leap of faith with our team, that goes a long way to opening up connection and trust in an organization. That's really what allows teams to perform at a higher level. When you have connection, when you have trust, when people are willing to be vulnerable and share ideas, give feedback and hold each other accountable, that's what makes a team excel. But it requires courage. 
My thanks to Kim Campbell. And Kim, thank you for your service. If you'd like to learn more about Kim, go to the show notes. And if you have a question or comment, go to unlabelleadership.com, click the message icon, and you can leave a voicemail message up to one minute. I'd like to thank those who contribute to the show. Your contributions make a difference because this is an all-volunteer service. Finally, I'd like to thank you for listening. This is Gary DePaul. Until next time, lead on.